0: Greetings, friends, and welcome to this episode of the Communication Guru Podcast, where we believe it is not always what you say, but how you say it that matters the most. I'm your host, Tim McMurtry, president and CEO of Tim McMurtry International LLC, a business consultancy specializing in personal development and training, government and public affairs, along with corporate and community relations. I'm delighted to have you join us And I thank you for your listenership and viewership of this show. As you know, our aim on this platform is to discuss nuances and insights relative to the communication continuum to help you maximize the impact and results of effective communication within your own various spheres of influence, be it your business, your relationships, and or your workplace. We're here to help you become a top-notch communicator. So be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast so you can be notified when new episodes are released and are available for consumption. Now, the need for approval is a basic human desire, and it is a driving force in many of our own personal choices and communications, whether we consciously recognize it or not. In fact... In legendary psychologist Abraham Maslow's five-level hierarchy of needs pyramid, the need for approval can interchangeably be placed in the level three love and belonging needs category and or the level four esteem needs category, both of which are predicated and associated with one's own personal esteem being primarily dictated by someone else's thumbs up. Or at a boy or at a girl, or de facto, quote unquote, permission to be great. However, given the level of latent functionality we have each been endowed with from our Creator, what we believe about ourselves, our own personal beliefs about our own selves, regardless of what others may think of us, is the most important factor and determinant to our ultimate future and quality of life. That said, I am thrilled to have joining us in the studio today none other than the Believe Coach himself. <laughs> glory, glory! <laughs> My main man, Nick Dillon. Nick is an empowerment expert, a licensed therapist and leadership/slash organizational consultant, providing services in diversity and inclusion, leadership development, management consulting, HR consulting, and personal coaching. He's also the founder of Belief University or Believe University which includes a bevy of programs, techniques, coaching modules, and related resources, all designed to enhance an individual's personal belief quotient and capacity. Now, he's also a class act extraordinaire who helped me tremendously in forging my career as a speaker, consultant, and trainer. And I just quickly, before bringing him on, I want to just kind of share with you how I met Nick. I was uh, working with a young lady, a good friend of ours by the name of Tina Boyle White. Shout out to Tina. What's happening, Tina? And she was into the speaker space and doing different things and this whole information age and how to, you know, monetize, being able to help people in coaching and all this kind of stuff. And I was trying to get in on the reindeer games. And she shared with me, said, hey, I got a friend, you know, a guy named Nick Dillon. He's an expert at this. He's been really rocking and rolling. He has the goods. You know, you really ought to meet him. So, I'm like, okay, well, cool. You know, you think he'd be willing to have coffee with me? You know, sit down and kind of show me the ropes or whatever? She's like, yeah, let me tell you what. We were at church. We had a midweek service Wednesday night. So, after service, we were out in the hallway. And as she was sharing this stuff, she said, hang on a second. She pulled her cell phone out, got on the phone, she put it up to her ear, said, hey, Nick, hey, what's happening? This is Tina. I got somebody I want you to talk to. And just handed me the phone. Now, I don't even know this dude, and he don't know me. So what do you want me to do? <laughs> so I grabbed the phone. Hey, how you doing? Tim McMurtry here. Heard a lot about you. Da, da 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 And would like to hear more about the whole speaker piece. And I was really just trying to see what your schedule looks like. Would you be willing to schedule a coffee meeting with me? Kind of just show me the ropes and get some pointers. Let me kind of ask some questions and things like that. This cat said to me, I tell you what, I'm having an event. Next month, or in April, this is maybe a February, this conversation took place. In April, you want to be one of the speakers. Bruh, I, what is speaking? <laughs> you know what I mean? My point in saying all this is that he had such a level of generosity. Hadn't ever met me before. Our first conversation was on this phone that his friend, who's also happened to be my friend, but it was his friend as well, handed me the phone. And he gave a red carpet. We've been friends ever since. He's been more like a brother to me, and he's just been the bomb and the diggity, and I am honored and privileged to have him join us today. So without any further ado, I present the song and uh, (laughs) introduce the others, the one and only Nick Dillon. What's up, brother? Welcome to the show. Honored to have you join us today.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you for having me and a brotherly hug to you. Brotherly hug Worry to you. Up. Thank you for that intro and for that history. Yes, to remember, that's how we met. And you're right, been heading forward every since. So yes, glad to be here.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Hey, so tell us a bit more about what led you into the belief, a psychologically positive space, and how did you kind of start going down that road from the jump?
1: Yes, yes. Great question. For me, and I've shared this story a lot with viewers and those who follow me and listen to me, is the journey for believing for me started as a youngster being born with a respiratory condition, premature and not slated to live 48 hours. But 53 years later, I'm still here. So we praise God for that. Amen. And just being in those formative years, being bullied, teased, taunted, and at one point in my life, deciding that I did not want to live and wanted to take my life. And so, what I did was, I went on this journey. And this journey for me has been a 35 plus year journey of just allowing me to grow and be the best that I can be. And the pivotal point for me in my aha moment in life was just remembering that. I believed the names I was called. I believed I wouldn't mount to anything. I believed I wasn't good enough. I believed I wouldn't live until age 18, let alone to be where I am now. And to be able to have a 180 shift in my entire belief system to truly love me for me, accept me for me, and really continue the journey even to this day to remind myself and reiterate to me each and every day of my life that I am good enough and that what I have to offer is necessary and it is relevant. And so I commit my life and the work that I do right now to just really, quite honestly, helping people really get their beliefs in alignment with their passion and their purpose. And I do that through, as you've already mentioned, my coaching, my counseling, my teaching, my training, and all the things that I offer through Believe University.
0: Gotcha, gotcha, excellent. Now, in this day and age, over the last couple of years, when we were growing up, people say, you know, back in the day, there were different challenges. You had the school bully who you had to either deal with or the avoid or some combination thereof. And lately, I'll say in the last maybe 10 years or so, there's been this anti-bullying campaign because you had young people that actually took their life because they were being bullied and stuff like that. What do you think are the keys that prevented you from going all the way over the cliff to the ultimate fatality of taking your life as opposed to, you know what, I can rebound from this. I can overcome these issues of esteem that I've had impacted by engagement with others in adverse ways. What are keys to one climbing up out the pit and getting up off the mat?
1: That's a very interesting question. And I will tell you, Tim, back in the day when you are teased and bullied back in my day, You go home and you go home, you go alone, you're by yourself. So I isolated myself, which is not good to do today. And believe it or not, music, music told a story back in the day. And what I would do was I would listen to music. There were songs that described how you felt and what you were going through. And then for me at an early age, I journaled. And I journaled because for me, the journal didn't judge me. And it was the first opportunity for me to speak and really allow my expressions to be heard without judgment. Now, while I didn't know that was going on, it was fulfilling for me. And so I did a lot of journaling. I did a lot of listening to music because music was my therapy. Because you didn't do therapy back then. My parents were against therapy. It was a taboo almost. That's right. You told them about what was going on, which I wasn't about to. (laughs) (laughs) But this day and age, The difference here is that when I got home, I was away from the bully. When you get with technology out there right now, you get home, these children still, or these young folks still are with the bully, whether they interface on social media, because social media is their social. Uh, And so when you speak to that, it's this feeling that I can't even escape that. And so I can't escape that. I can't escape it when I'm at school. I can't escape it on social media. And I'm still struggling to try to cope and deal with this. What I will also tell you is that there's a challenge. And there's a challenge in a lot of situations in family, and I'm even guilty of it myself, is that we raised our children with this whole mindset of allowing them to deal with less than what we went through. And so I learned, even though in some cases slightly to a fault, how to cope how to deal, and how to just allow. And while my journaling and just being, in some cases, probably depressed and down and out, did kind of help me out a little bit, this day and age when we're giving of so much materialism and we're not spending time and having those conversations and really, truly having those relationships with our children, with our young folks, it can become Challenging when you do find out that something's wrong with them, something's going on with them. You really want to connect, and that means you got to pay attention. You got to be looking. Isolation is not good.
0: hmm, hmm. You brought up a good point in the midst of that last exchange when you talked about parents wanting their kids to go through less than they went through. And so they try to sometimes shield the kids. You know, it's one thing to protect your child, that's what a good parent does, prevent your child from going through harm, hurt, harm, or danger. But I remember when I was working as chief of staff for a former city council president, he was telling me about an immigrant who had come to the city and he had turned himself into this mogul in the petroleum field. And he was sharing with him that they have back in his country, he was from some Middle Eastern country, I forget which particular region or territory, but he said that they had a, a concept called spoiling the sun. And what it is, the gist of it is, is that where they grew up, it was kind of a monarchy where you had a kingdom family. And the ruling family, if they had a son who was in line for the king, what they would do as he was growing up is that they would pamper him, put him on a pedestal, not let him do any work and not let him have to go through any sort of challenge or adversity. Because then when he became an adult, they could do a coup and overthrow him because he didn't have any intestinal fortitude, didn't have any adversity, didn't build up the character, resiliency, muscle to resist it. And now with this adversity, now he's freaking out and being overwhelmed. That said, how do we as parents, leaders, individuals wanting the best for others, how do we juxtapose what I would categorize as growth ingredients versus trauma? Because some things we learn by going through. It builds a muscle in us, a stick-to-itiveness and overcomingness. It builds a character. But at the same time, things can fall into level of abuse or trauma. How would you say the best way to kind of bifurcate those two growth ingredients or experiences that help make you better in the long run because you've learned from that experience versus, whoa, that was abuse or trauma. Mm
1: -hmm. And I think the big thing that I would say, even for me and for parents or even leaders, is to recognize that at the end of the day, we do want a relationship. And we want a relationship. And as parents, as grandparents who might be raising some children, think about it as it's a little different from the probably the historical grain and fabric of which we probably were raised under. But my philosophy is, is that While, yes, we want this level of respect, what we don't want is the fear. And sometimes it's the fear that causes the disconnect when it comes to trying to implant some seeds of growth and development. It is very intentional to have a mindset, especially as you're raising children, that I really want to make sure that their self-image and their self-esteem and their confidence and their leadership ability and their Feeling good about themselves is something that is grown. But you have to be intentional about that. We teach children lessons and life lessons and things of that nature. And we talk again, major communication. You got to be communicating with them through this process so that they too learn and acquire the lesson that you're trying to give and show them. But your objective really is to plant in them the seeds that allows for decision-making. One of the many things that I used to do with my children growing up, and they hated it, is I would ask questions. And they hated the fact that I would ask questions. And I would always say, if you're going to break the rules, think it all the way through. So when they broke the rules, while there was a consequence for breaking the rules, they had to be sat down and asked, I just want to know what your mindset was when you broke the rule. Tell me how you weighed it out. Tell me how you decided, hey, curfew is here, and I know I'm not going to make it, so I'm going to go ahead on and break it, because whatever that consequence is, I can just roll with it. Um, I'll take that whooping. <laughs> and so what was that mindset? And so I would challenge them to think in terms of decision-making, because whether they're six or 16, it's still a choice. And so and if I don't teach them what decision-making is early on and what... Being open and being honest and sharing, all in the matter of I'm trying to build a relationship with you so that if crisis happens, if a challenge happens, even if you experience trauma, you still see me as a resource. And there's a fine line there because I've heard the whole saying of you don't want to be friends with your kids and you don't want to do this. And those are all kind of misnomers because the reality is, is why you may not want to be their friend. It's just essentially saying you want to have the fine line drawn between who is the parent and who is the child. But the reality is, is it never changes. So I think as parents, sometimes we feel threatened if they push against the grain and the boundaries that you might have set as a family. And doing that doesn't make you no longer the parent. That role is always yours. I think as parents, we've just got to recognize that there is no threat unless we're filling it ourselves. I'm still a parent.
0: Right. You're going to be daddy as long as you walk on this
1: earth. And it's still a choice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And as a parent with kids getting older, that pushback piece, that sometimes is just them expressing their independence as well. You know what I mean? So they are individuals who have their own mind, own thoughts, make their own choices and things like that. The authority level that I have is still there. I just have to be able to respect the fact that they are now gaining some independence Absolutely. and fall back on some stuff, Absolutely. you know what I'm saying? Now relative to careers and individuals that are saying, well hey, I hear all of that and that's good stuff, but I really want to really increase my belief in myself, my esteem so that I can achieve my goals. From the belief standpoint, how does one and I you know of the persuasion that each individual is their own first audience? So before we project our thoughts and persuasions on anybody else, they first start with us. How does an individual begin to believe in themselves to be able to be, do, and have everything they want out of life? Are there a set of building blocks that one can start today even to say, okay, if I do these kinds of practices, it will help grow my belief in myself and correlatively assist my success in my endeavors that I partake in?
1: Yes, great question, Tim. One of the many things that I say that I see a lot of is we push the tangibles. So we push education, we push the certifications, we even push the who you know, we push the connections, we push all of that as the roadmap to success. And we push the drive to success and the need to be success based on external things. So to your point, Yes, it actually does start with you because I can give you all the roadmap. I can give you all the connections. I can even give you the financial infusion into whatever you want to do, but it's still going to come back to how you believe in you and how you see you. And so really the start of this is just asking ourselves, even before I start to do something or have a vision to do anything, what am I saying to myself about me? So it starts with personal acceptance. That's that stuff that happens as youngsters and we cultivate that in them and we don't talk at them, but we talk to them. And we give them those options for questions and answers and engagement. And we see that their objective to start to challenge you earlier as a parent is just them starting in being assertiveness in their exploratory, in their testing the boundaries. Those are the same skills and tools that they'll use in let's say business, when they're trying to negotiate, when they're trying to be heard and express themselves, when we surpass that and when we suppress that and we encourage that not to happen in a household, then what happens is it decreases how they see themselves when they get out in the real world. And so then you're struggling with making that work for you when you've got some programming over the years that you got to really work on and get rid of. And so While I would say the professional development is easy, we do that all the time, and it's easy to add another master's degree or a PhD to my resume and sell that, but how do I communicate? There's not necessarily a class for that. How does my attitude look? How do I build my confidence? There's not a class for that. And so those things have to be cultivated and grown in us. And then sometimes it's got to be intentional on our part to be willing to say, what in me? Is stopping me from being and doing what I need to be and who I need to be. So I need to grow in confidence. I need to grow in my self-image, self-esteem. I need to work on that because it matters how you start. It matters how you decide you're going to move forward. It matters how you start because that's going to give you your end results. If I don't believe then that's going to matter and it's going to show up in my start and my results and then reinforce the I don't believe. But if I believe that I'm limitless in terms of potential and possibilities, then my start is going to be awesome, which in turn will have my results good, which then reinforces what I do and what I know. Mm, okay.
0: It becomes kind of a, a cumulative dynamo effect. Absolutely. And it grows and grows. Now, allowing children as they're you know, growing up and you're raising them to ask questions and to express themselves, when we translate that or take it to, let's say, a, a corporate structure, organizations, I was listening to a conversation recently where a leading Silicon Valley investor, business owner, was talking to a group of people saying that, hey, our methodology is top-down only. We have limited input feedback from the employees and stuff like that. Essentially, what we say goes, we are the top people and I would encourage any business to have it the top down and that's it and not let folks kind of weigh in. To your point of helping to develop people in confidence, attitudes, ability to critically think, et cetera, what's your take on organizations' willingness or lack thereof to allow employees at any level within the organization to weigh in and to give suggestions and to say, well, hey, can we do X, Y, Z? Because we do the actual work. We think we'd be more efficient if we were to adopt this change. Do you think organizations ought to invite that kind of stuff? Or should they be more of that Silicon Valley person's philosophy of, hey, we're the boss, shut up and do your job or move around? Which philosophy do you give a thumbs up to?
1: So if you're going to be competitive, if you're going to be in the marketplace, you're going to have to be open to the possibility that whatever my team members offer is important, is relevant, is necessary. If I come from a top-down leadership approach, then I never empower my team. And then that means I, as the leader, will have to do most, if not all, of the heavy lifting. Well, if I want to grow as an organization and I have a team, Of people that work for me, what happens is you're leaving, quite honestly, money on the table. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm going to be an effective leader, I could have innovation in the house. I could have creativity in the house. I could have a whole lot of out of the box thinking in the house. But if it's my way or no way, eventually at the top starts to formulate groupthink. Everybody just going with the flow and no one really has to think because it's my idea. And if I don't have an idea, then it's the status quo. So that organization, what I would say, is going to put a lid on their capacity to grow because it can't get past me. And if I myself don't have the mindset to continue to grow, then that organization will plateau. And while they might think that they're doing good because they've got a portion of the marketplace, eventually those competitors around them will start chipping up at the edges and start to take away In fact, some of that good talent they might have, and then they go to another organization and knock it out of the park. So it's not the best way of leadership. Leadership is always going to be influence, positive influence. And if I don't allow that to show that and be a roadmap for that with my team members, then they're not going to stay. And the cost of hiring and rehiring and things of that nature is about five times an employee's salary. So you're going to spend money directly and indirectly but you're not going to grow. And soon the expenditure of what that looks like will make you say, we've got to look at this thing. And I will tell you an organization that is top down like that, I would love to really see what their board of directors is saying. Okay. Okay.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. What would you say to, there's an adage that folks don't leave organizations, they leave people. And that's due in large part to kind of the toxic communication interaction that they've had with others. For the individual that says, "Well, hey, I'm working in an environment that is not necessarily promising and I have a coworker or a person that might be favored by the executives or a relative of somebody or they're in a almost untouchable, you know, kind of space. What does that individual do in terms of communicating more effectively to get that situation remedied inside of an organization?" Or are they left with, well, hey, if it's an intractable situation, you might have to just find other employment.
1: Right. One of the many things that I say to anyone, especially working in a corporate environment, educational environment, government environment, no matter what environment, even entrepreneur environment, the big thing you got to recognize is it's always going to be a playbook. It's always going to be a roadmap. It's always going to be about communicating and building relationships. So you've got to build relationships inside the organization of what I call 360 relationships. Build relationships up top, build relationship with your peers, and build relationship with people that might report to you. Because then that increases the possibility of someone talking positively about you when you're not in the room. And so again, you're effectively building your influence inside the organization that may not necessarily be with your direct boss or even a peer. But if you've got 360 influence and relationship building and you're communicating and you're navigating the terrain, then what happens is is you get pieces to the playbook. You get invited in. You get recommended. You get invited on a committee. You get the email saying, hey, we want you to do this, do that. And you might say to yourself, man, I wonder how they found out about me. I've never interacted with them. Well, that's because somebody Mm -hmm. knows you even though you're not in the room. Great (laughs) vibe. Right. (laughs) I can't impress enough because what happens is is when we leave, when it gets a little lean and mean and uneasy and we don't like what that feeling is because at the end of the day, every employee wants to feel valued, wants to feel supported, and wants to believe that you care. If they don't have that as a feeling, as part of their employment experience, most will leave. But I say when you leave, do a self-assessment of you. Am I leaving because I'm uncomfortable with building relationships? Am I leaving because there might be more money offered? Because at the end of the day, remember, you're still taking that same you to wherever you're going. And eventually, you can potentially have that same type of vibe going on where you are. So I'm constantly, you know, about really making sure I do that self-analysis, self-management of me. Try to manage, to it. Because if it's an excellent organization that you work for, why should you yeah. have to leave? <laughs> Facts. Build those relationships with others inside the organization you're working for that might lead to an opportunity outside of where you are. If that just simply flat out does not exist, then you consider some external opportunities. But if I like where I'm at, I'm going to move around inside the organization.
0: Gotcha. That right there is some excellent, excellent advice. And you all, that the <laughs> alley Dunk that one. And one! Oh, that tip. <laughs> Hey, the uh, disruptive nature of the COVID-19 pandemic really took a toll on just about every sector. And thankfully, the vaccine seems to be kind of rolling out. We're starting to get to a critical mass. Even President Biden has been talking about wanting to have full immunization for everybody by, let's say, May or sometime real, real soon. And so with that, you've also had workplaces kind of going through This strategy session of, hey, do we have people return back to work? Do we have people continue to work from home? Do we have some sort of hybrid type of thing where folks work a couple days out the week from the crib, other days here in the office? And those are kind of coming out of the psychological cocoon of adversity that COVID-19 also bore to many in the population. What would you say are some of the keys for an individual to kind of get back on their feet? Self-talk, communicative habits, belief, just some mental internal calisthenics, if you will, to bounce back as strong as they can. As things reopen, they are rejuvenated as opposed to
1: damaged goods. Absolutely. Great question. One of the many things that I talked to employers about and even employees about over this past year is the COVID-19 did a couple of things. It took a lot of our social away. For many of us, the office was our social, whether we were productive or non productive. And to be now working remotely, it put a few people in isolation. It took away their social. So, in some cases, you probably saw, well, I can tell you the research has shown the physicians wrote almost 25% more prescriptions for anxiety and stress last year. Wow. You had an increase of suicide attempts last year. You had an increase of counseling, an increase of seeking of mental health distress. All of that peaked last year to an all-time high. And one of the unique things that we've got to remember, even in this process, not only from an employer standpoint, is that we still have to engage our employees and our team. And it's not a bad thing to do a wellness check as an employer. But more importantly, for us as employees, self-care was very real last year. Some of these things we needed to be doing a lot ourselves in terms of managing yourself mentally, spiritually, physically, and even emotionally. Because in some cases, it was an eight-hour day of Zoom. It was an eight-hour day on Teams and all the other different platforms, and it wasn't really a break to have some social time, and even with the social being virtually, it doesn't look and feel like it used to look and feel like, which was our previous normal, and we've had to make a lot of adjustments. But what I've encouraged people to do is utilize the time to grow you. Utilize the time to take care of your mental self, your emotional self, your physical self. That matters. Self-care is still very real. It was very real last year, and it is even more real as we continue to make this transition into whatever those models will look like from an employment standpoint. Because to your point, yes, a lot of organizations, some have even sold off real estate, commercial property, because they may not be going back to the office. Some have just completely switched to a complete virtual office space because, believe it or not, folks, your bean counters at your respective organizations was counting numbers and counting dollars and counting and visualizing and examining productivity. Mm. Mm. And they saw, are we more productive? Are we lacking in some things? Do we have more absentee due to people calling in sick? All those numbers are being looked at whether we know it or not.
0: Mm. (laughs) Facts. Facts. Well, hey, as we are coming to a close here, this has been excellent. Just a couple more questions for you, and I'll let you go ahead and roll out. What has been your greatest lesson in the variety of experiences that you've had relative to effective communication? If there was an ABC or one, two, three to effective communication in your mind, what would that be?
1: Three things that I have learned over the years, and I'll drop these as I'll leave these with you and your audience as good nuggets. And the first one is, Get rid of the head trash. Recognize when there's head trash in your head that doesn't belong, that's negative self-talk, that doesn't serve you and doesn't add value to others. The next thing that I've learned is you don't have to believe everything you think.
0: Mm. Say that again. (laughs) Say that again,
1: Doc. You don't have to believe everything you think. Wow. So every time something communicable passes through your mindset, you don't have to always say it and you don't have to always believe it. But assess it, assess what you need and think about that thing before you say something that you cannot take back. And then lastly, just really knowing that getting up each and every day with the mindset of just simply adding value to others matters. Something as simple as communicating a good morning, a have a nice day, or a check-in of how you're doing, or an attaboy, can go a long way in this world and society. And what I've learned also and finally is that be mindful that you communicate verbally and you communicate non-verbally. So how you show up, you're actually communicating even if you don't say a word.
0: Wow, wow, nice stuff. Very last question, I promise I'm gonna let you go. This is my last, last question for you. Given everything that jumped off with the whole George Floyd murder, and even here locally, Jacob Blake, and being maimed, essentially, in interaction with law enforcement, there's been a clarion call kind of of sorts for diversity, equity, inclusion, social justice, et cetera. And there seems to have been a lot of, not just lip service, but resources and things like that being put behind it, see a lot of activity still going on. What is the future? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but in your estimation, what is the future of the whole diversity, equity, inclusion measure? Is that just kind of the new hotness right now? Or will this be a thread in the fabric of America moving forward so that America can live up more to her promise of life, liberty, and justice
1: for all? Right. Great question. One of the things that I would say is I, diversity, equity, and inclusion, for me, will always be heart and mind work. And in order for this to continue to move forward, we've got to change mindsets. We've got to change hearts. We've got to change how we see things because that will then help us to start shifting some of the systemic things that have been going on for so long. But until we reach the hearts and the minds of individuals all over, it's going to be rough and tough to move the needle forward. But I say that to also say that we as individuals and certainly people of color also need to recognize that we have to continue to empower ourselves to continue to speak up, to continue to know that you do have a voice and your voice does matter. Mm -hmm.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, man, Nick the Quick, (laughs) thanks so much for sharing your insights with us today. It's been a pleasure to have you here. I would say any last words for our listeners, but you didn't drop two alley oop dunks on the listeners with that. So thank you again, my friend. I appreciate you gracing us
1: with your presence today. I appreciate being here, and anytime.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks so much, you all, for listening on today. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to the Communication Guru Podcast. Also, be on the lookout for the Morning to Inspiration Vlog, which includes. Quick hits of inspirational words, encouragement, and insights just to kind of put some wind behind your sails as you're going throughout your day. You can find it on different social media feeds be it Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Finally, if you have a communication issue that you may need some assistance with, be it personal, organizational, relational, or business, and would like a free 15 minute consultation or discovery session, feel free to reach out to us or me at Tim at timmcmurtryinternational.com with a brief description of the issue, and we can see what we can do to help you get that issue resolved. Well, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Until next time, blessing and increase to you. Bam!